Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's going on here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. I'm so grateful for people who have the honesty, the authenticity to be able to share what they've experienced in life so that it might encourage and help someone else. And that's really what it's, what it's all about. We're in a series where we're talking about going through the painful, difficult circumstances of life. And what I've come to realize is everyone is going through something. You're either in the middle of something or you've come out of something, but we all have a story. Everybody can talk a little bit about the painful experiences of life. Some of it is financial reversals, and some of it is relational challenges, and some of it is physical difficulty, and some of you have gone through relational problems. Some of you have kids. Uh, In fact, how, how many of you this morning would admit I've got at least one problem? Would you raise your hand and admit that this morning? You're in church, don't lie. How many would also say, I'm sitting by one of those problems? I thought that. We're all going through something. We all have problems. And one of the things that I want to talk to you about is how the painful experiences of life change us. I'm convinced that no one goes through a painful experience of life and comes out of it on the other side exactly the same. Pain has a way of either drawing you to God or driving you away from God but you will never stay the same once you've gone through a painful, difficult circumstance. And last week I talked about how pain can be used to to measure me, how I can kind of learn about me and where I am, and you really don't know how strong your faith is until it's tested. And so pain has a way of testing my faith, of showing me areas of my life that need to be improved upon and areas of my life that I'm actually doing better in. And so pain can measure me. And this morning I wanna talk to you about a different aspect of pain and that is how pain can motivate me. Uh, We actually can use the painful experiences of life to do something positive and do something good. And we can actually become better from the experiences of life instead of becoming bitter. And I think all of that is within our power. I think we have that ability through how we think about it, how we respond to it, the decisions that we make while we're in it. Because we can escape pain. Pain is inevitable. Pain is inescapable. The Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. Good people who love God will have bad times and people who don't love God will have bad times. Uh, Pain is one of those things that we will all experience in life. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. He said, I've overcome the world. So he put it out there. We're going to have difficulty. We will know, we'll know pain. And I read somewhere, and I think this is true, that most people don't change until they either know enough that they want to or they hurt enough that they have to. But you never stay the same when you go through pain. In fact, have you ever thought about it in some ways, pain is a gift, right? Have you ever considered the fact that when you lay your hand on a hot stove, if there were not pain associated with that experience, you'd just cook your hand. 
Pain sometimes is a way of keeping us from greater harm, from making bigger mistakes. So God will allow pain into our life. Sometimes he causes pain in our life as a teaching method. The 119th Psalm, David said, it was good for me that I was afflicted because in that affliction, I learned your statutes. David said, I saw something about God I didn't see till I was hurting. I saw something about me that I didn't know until I was hurting. And pain has that effect on us all. When we think about pain, there are two types of pain that I wanna touch on, and this isn't a clinical definition that I'm about to give, but it's a practical one, and that is there can be pain that is associated with what I'll call an injury. You've been injured, you're hurt. And the thing about an injury is it will eventually heal. Now, it'll leave a scar, but you can point to a scar on your body and said this scar is related to an injury. Some of you were athletes in high school, some of you are athletes now, and you have uh, scars that are related to injuries you sustain as an athlete. Some of you are not athletic at all. You've had athletes' feet, but that's about as close you got to it. But you can point to things in your body, scars and difficulties, and say, I was injured here. This happened to me and I wear a scar. Can I tell you there are people in the room that have gone through relational problems and financial difficulty and betrayal, and though they're on the other side of it and they've healed from it, they can still see the scars in their life as a result of the injury they sustained. So you have injuries, right? And then you have what I'll call wounds, wounds. Wounds run deeper. And the difference between a wound and an injury is an injury will heal in time and leave a scar, but listen, a wound never completely heals. A wound is something that is always there. A wound is something that you learn to cope with and you learn to deal with. It is, it is that thing that is associated with seemingly an unanswered prayer. A desire in your heart for God to move in a way that he hasn't chosen to move or he hasn't done what I thought he would do when I thought he would do it and so I'm dealing with it. And so it's not an injury that has healed and left me with a scar. It is a wound that is still there that I'm having to cope with it. And some of us bear wounds. In Zechariah chapter 13, back in the Bible where the pages of your Bible are probably stuck together. In Zechariah 13, uh, the prophet looks down through the, uh, the, the, the annals of time and he sees a time when all of the redeemed of the world will gather around the throne of God. And one of the elders will say to Jesus, what are these wounds in your hands? Where do they come from? And Jesus will respond, these are the wounds I received in the house of my friends. Have you ever thought about this? The only thing in heaven that will be there that has been made by man will be the scars in the body of our Savior. And he refers to them as wounds, as wounds. Some of you in the room are, are wounded. I remember when I was a kid hearing a, a preacher my dad would bring in to preach each year. His name was Harold Seitler. And he was one of those guys that was old all my life. Have you ever known anybody like that just old all your life? I don't mean disrespect there. I just mean when I was young, they were old. When I grew up, he's still old. He was just old all my life. And I'll be that way for my Met kids over there. They'll see me one day and go, oh, Bill was old when I was, anyway. The point is, he was just an old guy. And I remember the last time I heard him speak, he was well into his 80s. 
And he talked about something in his life that was a wound. He talked about the death of his daughter when she was only seven. He talked about how she was hit and killed by a drunk driver. And 50, 60 years on the other side of that event, he could not speak of it without crying about it. And I never will forget what he said. He said, there are some valleys that we walk through in this life that we never fully get out of. I'm saying there are injuries and there are wounds. Some of us have injuries and some of us have wounds. Some of us walk through valleys that seem to be unending. Some of us go through experiences of life where God doesn't seem to be moving. But I just suggest to you this morning that God has a plan, he has a purpose, he's too good to do wrong, he's too wise to make a mistake. Most of us, when we come to church, we're good at hiding our injuries and hiding our wounds. We, we, we learn to be very creative hypocrites in church. And I'm reminded in 2 Kings chapter five, there was a Syrian general by the name of Naaman. Naaman was successful and powerful, and Naaman was a, a mighty man. Naaman was a man who commanded the respect of all of those who followed after him. I mean, Naaman was a powerful individual, and when you saw Naaman in his armor, it was a striking thing. He commanded your attention when Naaman stepped into the room. There's General Naaman, and everyone looked toward him. But the problem with Naaman is he was a leper. He was a leper. Behind his armor, he struggled with something that only those closest to him knew about because he kept his armor over it. Some of you are hiding behind the armor of a personality. You light up the room when you enter it. You have a beautiful smile, a dynamic, charismatic personality. People are drawn to you. And the reality of it is sometimes that can be an armor that we hide behind. Sometimes people hide behind their success and they're very successful in life and build companies and accelerate in the companies that they're in. And sometimes those successes of life can be armor that we, that we hide behind. And no one really knows. Only those that get close enough to us that see us when we remove the armor know. There's a wound there. There's an injury there. And I'm suggesting to your heart this morning that we all have them. And this most significant thing I hope we learn together in this series is simply this, how do you get through what you're going through? How do you get through it without getting bitter on one hand? How can we get through these experiences and be actually better for it? How can we learn from it? Because there are some things in life that simply uh, will always be there. I know people in this room, I talked to them in the earlier services, and I know people in this room that are going through things and you've gone through things that are wounds. Like Dr. Seitler, maybe the loss of a child, loss of a loved one, loss of your health, loss of a relationship. And unlike the injury where there is a healing with a scar, this is a wound. And when you talk about it or think about it or you dwell on it, the emotion comes because it just is what it is. I asked you last week in one of the services, and I'll ask you again this morning, what do you think the greatest test of your faith, what do you think it could be? I would submit to you this morning from my own personal experience that the greatest test of your faith is ironically not 
do you have enough faith to be healed? Now sometimes we look at that as the greatest test of faith, right? I mean, you go through something and you're dealing with an injury or you're dealing with an illness and so you go to God as the Bible instructs us to do and we pray for healing as I believe he's able to do and we look to the great physician, Jehovah Rapha. We know God is capable of doing anything and we go to God and sometimes we think the greatest test of our faith is in God's ability to heal as a result of my faith and sometimes that happens. But I submit to you this morning that the greatest test of your faith is not, do you have enough faith to be healed? The greatest test of your faith is, do you have enough faith not to be healed? What if God says no? What if after you've prayed and you've pressed in with God and you've done everything you know to do and you've relied on counsel of spiritual people who are praying for you, and after you've done everything This is a little close to home. What if the answer you get, at least in this time, is no? Thank you. Believe me, in my life, I've done everything I know to do, you know. Your wife has a a terminal illness. (laughs) (sighs) Okay. I'm just saying, the biggest test of my faith has not been do I think God can heal her? I know he can. I know he can. He could heal her before I get home today. But he hasn't. In Corinthians, Paul had this thorn in the flesh. He had this problem. And he said he prayed for God to deal with it three different times. I mean, God just said, no, no. He said, in fact, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm not gonna give you what you pray for the way, thank you. <laughs> Somebody actually gave me tissues in the first service and some dummy as I am, I left them back there. Thank you. These are actually better, thank you, brother. <laughs> Man, I told you last time I went down this road, we had most of those tissues out there under your chairs will exfoliate your face if you try to use them. <laughs> like a low-grade sandpaper. <laughs> think a building were worth $20 million here, we could afford some tissues, don't we? Good Lord. I'm not even sure where I was going with all that. <laughs> but the reality of it is, huh? What I say, huh? Corinthians, thank you. For those of you watching online, play along. <laughs> well, Paul prayed three times, thank you, that God would touch him and, and heal him, and he said, my grace is sufficient for you. Meaning that I'm not gonna do what you thought I would do, but instead I'm gonna give you grace to get through what you're about to go through, you see. And sometimes, and boy, don't be guilty of this, but sometimes we look at people and we can become judgmental of people. 
when we don't know their story. Remember Job? I wonder what he did to deserve what's happened to him. Even the apostles who had been taught by their rabbis, the religious people of the day. In John 9, there was a child born blind. And their first reaction to Jesus was, who sinned? His parents or this child that he would be born blind? Are you kidding me? How could this child have sinned? He wasn't born yet. And do you think God is some cosmic killjoy that would bring that kind of level of pain in the life of this young couple for no purpose other than you messed up and now your kid's gonna pay for it? No, Jesus said neither. Neither sin. This is not about that. Here's what he said. He said, this is happening, get this, so that the works of God might be made manifest through his life. God allows what he allows. Sometimes the painful experiences of life, he allows what he allows so that people might see him in you. I said prayer changes you. I said pain changes you. In fact, look with me for our our thinking this morning in Romans chapter eight. And in Romans chapter eight, verse 28, it was my dad's go-to verse. It was his life verse. And Paul said, we know. And I love the certainty with which he writes. We, We know that all things work together for good. He didn't say all things are good. He said all things work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. And then he expands a little more and he says, for those he foreknew, God is sovereign, meaning he knows ultimately who will receive him and who will not receive him. He knows who will say yes to him and who will say no to him. So his foreknowledge, the fact that he knows things ahead of time, determines, he said, my foreknowledge predetermines some things in your life. So since God knew that I would receive him one day as my savior, he predestined, he predetermined certain events that would happen in my life and in Cindy's life so that ultimately, note now, we would be conformed into the image of his son. So God knows we're going to receive him and once we have received him, he will predetermine certain things to happen in our life. So the result of those things is we're going to be conformed into the image of his son. Meaning that someone will look at you and say, I can see a little bit of what God is in your life. I can see how that experience has changed you and changed you for the better because I see God's grace and mercy. I see a good attitude and outlook on life. I can see God has done something incredible in your life because of what you've gone through. So let me challenge you in the few moments we have left together to allow the painful experiences of life to motivate you. Let me tell you how it's motivated me. Number one, it's deepened my communion. It's deepened my communion. What do I mean by that? I mean, I have learned that I pray more when I'm in trouble. Anybody got a brother's back on that one? I don't know about you, but I pray a little more when I'm in trouble. I pray more intently when I'm in trouble. I mean, me and Jesus, we get tight when I'm in trouble. And I'm one probably that is prone to wander, so God keeps me on a short leash. And I'm just suggesting to you this morning that one of the things pain will do is it can deepen your commitment to God. Now, I'm saying that's not true with everyone. Because some people go through things that draw them to God, some go through things that drive them away from God. And I get that, we're all different. But I suggest to you in my life what I've allowed this difficulty to do instead of drive me from God. Now, I'll be honest with you, we have our moments. (laughs) Me and God do some touch and go sometime. 
There, there are times when I, I, I really, I, I'll bottom out a little bit, and, and so I'm, I'm not trying to come off like something I'm not. I'm just suggesting to you, on balance, the mean line of my life, the average is, I try to press into him more than pull away from him. And one of the things pain will, will inevitably do, if you will allow it, it will inevitably allow you to connect with him in a more meaningful way. You'll see him in a different way. Again, the 119th Psalm, David said, it was good for me that I was afflicted because I learned your statutes. I saw something about you I didn't see, and I saw something conversely about me that I, I didn't see. Matthew 5, 29, Jesus said, if your right eye offend you, pluck it out. You're better to go into heaven with one than into hell with two. If your right arm offends you, cut it off. You're better to go into he heaven with one than into hell with two. Well, what's he saying? Is God a sovereign sadist that takes pleasure in our pain? No. What he's saying is, if it takes affliction to bring you to Jesus, he's more just to allow the affliction than to let us merely go out into eternity without him. Be honest. Some of us change when we see the light. Some of us change when we feel the heat. <laughs> and the most significant thing, the most significant thing is not what church you attend, not what denominational flag you fly over your house. The most significant thing is what did you do with Jesus? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. It's not about your religion or your self-righteousness because all that is as filthy rags. It's about your relationship to Jesus. So let pain bring you to him. Let pain bring you back to him. Allow pain to motivate you this morning to go deeper in communion. Second thought. I've also understood that pain has helped me define my companions. You ever hear the expression, I've heard it, you know who your friends are when you go through a hard time? Can I say, that's true? <laughs> I mean, in life we'll make many acquaintances and you'll know a lot of people, you'll meet a lot of people, but guys, you'll really meet only a few really genuinely, a few good friends. And the older I get, the more I understand that I, <sighs> You know, I'm into the third quarter right now. I don't have a lot of time to invest in a lot of new friendships for it to be right and fair. So I hold on to the friends God has brought around me in my life. And I'm just suggesting you, you only have a few because you don't have time and you don't have the bandwidth emotionally to have more than a few. But when you have a few friends, you really see who they are when you go through a painful experience in life. Proverbs 17, verse 17, the Bible says this, a friend loves you all the time. Do you have any fair weather friends? You go through something in your life and they're gone. Maybe just being around you a little bit depresses them and nothing's gonna depress them because they are who they are. <laughs> a little narcissistic. You know, narcissist was that Greek mythological figure that fell in love with his reflection in a pond. Enough about me, now you talk about me. You'll find the people in your life that are that way. And I'm saying we all have some of them in your orbit that are that way. And when you go through a painful experience of your life, you will soon discover the friends you have who love you all the time. Good times and bad times, happy times and sad times. They love you when you're right, and get this, they love you when you're wrong. You say, how do I tell the difference? I'll give you something kind of practical. Works for me. 
You have people in your orbit, people in your life that you spend time with, and the more time you spend with them, the more, can I, let me, just, let me get the cookies right down the bottom shelf where you can get this. The more they suck the life right out of you. Did you get that expression? Just draw it right over you. You can be with somebody for a little bit and all of a sudden you feel like the witch in that, I'm melting. <laughs> you walk into their presence and then you crawl out and you go, why in the name of God did I do this to me? Now we call that in ministry circles, ministering to others, pouring into other people. I'm just suggesting that that's part of it but if you're looking at someone to pour into you, you need to be careful that it is reciprocal. That you are getting something out of the relationship as well as pouring something into the relationship and you have to be able to define the terms. You have to know, these are the people I pour into. <laughs> I'm investing in them. I'm not getting anything out of that other than what God will bless me for spending time with them, but that's not the nature of our relationship or quote, friendship. On the other hand, you're, you have people in your life that when you spend time with them, it's like time to stand still. All of a sudden, you're looking at your watch going, my goodness, I can't believe we've been together this long. We gotta, we gotta go work tomorrow. What are you doing? We got kids, we have big responsibilities, we gotta go. And all of a sudden, you realize time has just gone by so, those, those, listen, those are replenishing friends. They're people that will pour into you and replenish you, especially when you're going through a painful experience. Can I give you just a couple things to think about if you're helping some friend of yours going through a hard time? First of all, try to understand what they're going through and understand them without offering to fix the problem. Now this is something we guys all have a problem with because ladies, you'll pour your heart out to us and we're looking at you thinking, all right, three things, write this down. Are you writing this down? <laughs> and you do this, do these three things, it's fixed. Now let's go have fun. And she's like, I can fix this. I'm not looking for a fix. I'm looking for you to understand what I'm going through at the moment. And all the women go, I think Bill might get that. And I'm just saying that's true of anyone in pain. Sometimes there's not a fix. Sometimes you need to just stop long enough to kind of understand what your friend may be going through and just understand, I'm not here to fix it. I'm just trying to relate and understand. Second thing I would tell you is cut them some slack. Let them have a bad day. Let them say something that's not real sanctified. <laughs> Be okay with that. In fact, there's a Psalm that says, he has put my feet in a large room. Meaning that God cuts us slack. He cuts you some slack. <laughs> If you're gonna be someone's friend and understand what they're going through, cut them some slack. Another thing to do, thirdly, I would say, don't minimize what they're going through and try to point out someone you know who's going through something worse than what they're going through, thinking that's going to help them. It's not going to help them. Oh, well, it's a good thing you're not this person. Let me tell you, they're going a lot worse than you are. That doesn't help them. I mean, you know, that's surgery, you know, it's minor if it's you, it's major if it's me. <laughs> I mean, you have to understand everything's relative and when they're hurting that way, there's nothing more powerful than their pain. And so if you're gonna be their friend, you need to understand them and cut them some slack and don't minimize where they are or what they're going through. The last thing I would advise you about is be a safe person to them. Be a safe person to them. Let them quit, let them get mad. 
Let them say anything in the world they need to say to you and you be okay with that without tweeting it, Facebooking it, uh, talking about it. Just, oh my God, you wouldn't believe what they just said to me. Here's what psychologists have told me about people in pain and people who are struggling with things is if you can get them to talk about what they're thinking about, most of the time they won't believe what they just heard themselves say. Because it takes on a life of its own in your head. So be a safe person to let this person say to you things that they may not even believe and they may not even mean it, but they just needed to say it. Be a safe person. So I'm suggesting that if you want pain to motivate you, let it deepen your communion. Let it define your companions. Thirdly, let it direct your compassion. Allow this pain that you're going through to help you connect with someone else going through something that you might use this pain of your experience to help them in their experience. We have sympathy, right? We sympathize. And all the sympathy, and, and I appreciate cards and letters and things that we get. Sympathy is merely saying, I feel for you. I feel for you. And that's huge. Isn't it good to have somebody in your life that feels for you? But then there's empathy. Empathy is a whole different level. That's when someone says, I feel with you. I, I, I get you. I understand you. I've gone through what you're going through and you connect on a whole nother level. It's, it's, it's the dynamic that was in Acts chapter four when the Bible says they had things in common. It, it's a Greek word called koinonia. It means on one hand to share something with someone. When you say, hey, let me, here's what I'm going through. Oh, I'm so sorry. I, I, I sympathize with you. So to share something with someone. And then the second level of koinonia is to share in something with someone. Wow, that's a whole nother level. That's when you say, I, I, I'm in the trenches with you. I'm your safe person. I'm gonna pray with you and for you, and I'm here, I'm available to you. And I'm just suggesting you that that man, when that starts happening, you, you find ministry starts happening. When you hear about the Apostle Paul, and you understand uh, when he talks about comfort that he had gotten when he was beaten and left for dead, Paul said, here was the value of what I received in 2 Corinthians 1. He said, I received comfort, get this guys, so that I in turn could give comfort. You may not realize this, but God may be using the pain of your present experience or the pain of your past experience to connect with someone in your orbit, in your circle, in a way that you're not even aware of. You may be encouraging someone you're not even aware of. Because God has given you comfort and now you're giving comfort to them. And let me tell you something, you can't give what you don't have. You can't comfort someone if you haven't been comforted. The best person to help somebody that's gone through a broken relationship or has gone through the loss of a loved one or has lost their health or business or anything is someone that's been there, done that. And they can simply say, look, man, I relate. I, God got me through that and he's getting me through this and I know he can get you through that and he can get you through this. It's directing that in a way that is impactful and positive. Because guys, if you're not careful, you'll insulate and isolate and you'll pull back and pull away because of the pain of your experience. Instead of let it motivate you, you'll retreat and it'll start affecting you emotionally and affect you mentally and it can affect you physically. 
So the third thing I would say to you is allow the pain to motivate you and direct your compassion. Lastly, let your pain determine your commitments. Allow your pain to help you finally establish good priorities. I've told you before, you'll either live by the pressure people put on you or the priorities you set for you. If you don't take charge of your life, somebody else will. And allow the painful experiences of your life to make you mad enough to say, I am not going to do that anymore. This is the thing I'm going to do. I am going to live according to priority. And what you'll begin to find is God is going to use that in a powerful, positive way to influence and impact other people. Let me just wrap this up to say, those of you that have been injured and those of you with wounds and those of you who are going through or have been through the painful experiences of life, you may not realize this, but you're helping someone in your circle today. In fact, in Malachi 3, there's a beautiful word. It's a metaphor he uses to describe his kids. You know what the word is? Jewel. My jewels. Have you ever thought of yourself as a jewel? God's jewel? You're precious. You're beautiful. You're brilliant. <laughs> you're his jewel. And if you leave here in a little while and you go to a jewelry store and you look at that precious ring or bracelet or earrings or necklace or whatever you're into, you know what they're going to do to show you the brilliance and the beauty of that item? They're going to lay that item against a dark backdrop. Because that person knows you're not going to see its brilliance or its beauty unless it's against a dark backdrop. And sometimes, so that the people can see your brilliance and your beauty, God will drop you against a dark backdrop. People are seeing you in a new light, in a new way. We use this expression, the stars come out at night. That's not really true. We sing this little tune, the stars at night are big and bright, deep in the heart of Texas. Sorry, Oklahoma fans, I just had to. I know, I know, I know, I know. Mom, my mom's family, all of them from Oklahoma, so we got a little hate going right now, but it's okay, we'll get through that. The point is the stars are out all the time. You just can't see them because of the brightness of the sun. But all of a sudden, this little later this evening, if the clouds clear away, you walk out in your backyard and you look up and you see the stars. They were there all the time, you just couldn't see them until it got dark. And what I've come to understand is there's parts of pain that we go through in life that God is using it so that somebody sees your brilliance and your beauty in a way they would have never seen otherwise. Let's pray. Father, today we just say to you that we do not understand all that we experience we trust you. You are too good to do wrong. You are too wise to make a mistake. And so I pray for my friends here today who are struggling with the pain of life and the questions that accompany it. I pray, Lord, they'll allow this thing to motivate them, that they'll allow this pain that they've experienced or that they're going through to move them, to change them in a good way. And Father, for my friends here who are watching or listening or in this room who've never connected with you, I pray the first step they'll take is be a step toward you to say, Lord Jesus, 
I can't do this on my own. I cannot possibly navigate this storm without you. So with all that is in me, I trust you. Come into my life, forgive my sin. That's my prayer. For others, Lord, who just need to be encouraged today, I pray as soon as I dismiss that they'll find their way here to the front, allow one of our workers here to spend a few minutes and just pray for them and encourage them before they go. And then, Lord, when we dismiss in just a few moments, thank you for the, just the joy it is to dedicate so many of these beautiful babies that will be here. Thank you, Father, for your love for us, for your purpose in us. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great rest of your Sunday. We'll see you next week.